star at Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, and sharp, immortal actor Sean Bean. And you're listening to Trope Stormers, you bastards. Hello and welcome to another episode of Trope Stormers, your titular travels through the world of tropes in TV, film and general media. As ever, I'm Chris Jeeves and I'm joined by my northern correspondent, Mr. Jim Carberg. Hello, sir. Hello, everybody. Good to be back. I'm excited about this one. I've yeah. really got the theme, got the theme tune in my head, uh, and I'm, I'm I'm ready to go. You know, those horns are blaring. Uh, yeah, excited about this one. You're you're giddy like a little schoolgirl, aren't you? Like you really are, like quite juiced up for this one. Yeah, well, to quote Austin Powers, this sort of thing is my bag, baby. Baby, baby um, yeah. it really is. Ah, um, fantastic. So how, how are you doing, Chris? You all right? You doing... I'm well. I'm well, sir. Not much to report. Um, as ever, uh, as a, a new homeowner, I am doing nothing but DIY now, and it's basically just exposing my limitations. And my long-suffering partner has uh, basically adopted the role of foreman, and I am basically the skivvy um, there to basically just wolf whistle and uh, carry things but, and uh, get ordered around. It's kind of what I like. It's kind of my dynamic. We'll keep tabs on th- this, uh, this story arc. <laughs> of, uh, DIY as it, as it develops, um, because you you know you've you've you look like you, you're going to experience some growth there based on that description. You know you're going to you know the, the kind of cometh the hour, cometh the man type of vibe. There'll be there'll be some sort of uh, task that only you can fulfil. I don't know what that would be, but uh, yeah, it sounds sounds like we've got scope for sort of a bit of sort of uh, could could become a little serialised segment throughout the, uh, the pod. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We'll get a jingle or something. Uh, drills. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like our home improvement section, uh, where uh, I don't. I'm I'm the guy of defence, not Tim. <laughs> <laughs> nice reference there. And, there you go. And, there's a jingle. There's, there it is. That's that jingle or the outtake at the end. Um, and yourself, sir. What's what's moving and shaking in your world? What's in your orbit right now? I'm doing a bit of my old study, uh, and it's it's kicking my ass a bit. I'm trying to fit it in with everything that's that's going on, but uh, yeah, it's 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 all online, so yeah, it's easy peasy really to do it. It's just like you know, sitting on Facebook and that really. Well, you know, it's kind of it's mental growth, isn't it? It's uh, you're, you're working working those brain brain muscles in your brain box, expanding your mind, man. And it's speaking of expanding our minds and story arcs, boy, have we got content for you upcoming in this podcast. Yeah, Christ on a bicycle. This is this is big people. But let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. For anyone that's new to the pod, hello, welcome. Where have you been? Uh, please go back and check out our rather uh, generous back catalogue. We are we've clocked up ten now, uh, out and out uh, podcasts plus our little uh, snippety uh, bolts. Uh, so what's it what's it all about? What are we doing here? Snippety bolts. Snippety bolts. That's a Harry Potter character, isn't it? <laughs> he's one of the lesser-known ones. Yeah, he's like uh, it's like the outcast Weasley, the one they just don't talk about. He's not Ginger. As a <clears throat> spoiler, um, right? So tropes, tropes appear in the media constantly. And uh, to give you an example, here's one that I thought of the other day. Have you uh, had the pleasure of watching a gangster film in your life, Mr. Carberg? Forget about it. Precisely. Have you ever noticed how I in have, a gangster? That's, that means yes. Right, it's that's just paraphrase. You're answering in the affirmative. Yeah. Through the medium of gangster speak. Yeah, have you? I don't know. I was going to try another one, but I've, you know, it, I, you know, I mean, I'll, days are long behind me. 
I'll, I'll, I'll indulge you if, uh, you know, you want to get funny like a little clown or something. Um, have you ever noticed in the narrative of most gangster films, it follows a kind of rise and fall? You start fairly humble, things like are on the way up, the gang make it big, they're ruling the racket, and then everyone gets a bit sloppy, a bit careless, things go a bit awry, and then you basically watch the whole thing implode. It's it's Casino, it's Goodfellas, it's pretty much anyone you want to think of. It's your crime arc, basically. Yeah. You know, you're following your anti-hero crime arc. Yeah. Uh, so you call that... Call it what you will, but that is a kind of classic trope in that medium. And uh, tropes crop up here, there, and everywhere in media. It's kind of narrative devices to help the story along in whatever shape or form. They can be good, they can be bad. Our job is to sift through the wheat and the chaff and to pass judgment using our wholly unscientific scoring system. Jim, would you like to elaborate further? Yeah, so I mean, if we feel that a film handles these tropes well, um, it will be awarded Utropia. And the flip side of that is the hellish pits of dystropia, the sort of Tartarus, the underworld of tropes. You know, if you're, if you're hackneyed or ham-fisted with your approach, um, if you're just trying to crowbar one too many character archetypes in, or, you know, you're trying to make too much obvious of a statement, you're, you're at risk of that, certainly. And we're going to look at four of these tropes, two apiece, and then we're going to decide today's chosen film, whether it is worthy of dystropia or utropia. Beautifully put. And we don't do draws, do we? No, no, we don't do draws. Uh, we go to sudden death. That's, that gets serious trope stormer business then, for mm. sure. That's when we pop out our auxiliary fifth trope and it's, uh, well, it, it's, it can get ugly. Well, uh, Time, Time Cop was, a, was an interesting one. Uh, so go check that out um, if you haven't done that already. And um, also, we did an Origins uh, storm in a tea break in the build-up to this. So if you haven't done that, maybe you want to pause that, check that out. It's got some good background material uh, for this episode. But I just I can't wait to announce what we are looking at today. Well, let me let me just stop you there. Oh, I'm mean, aren't I? <laughs> you uh, you really are, are all juiced up because we have. But, but we probably need to get a uh, a little jingle for this actually. Uh, some listener correspondence. Oh, okay, yeah. We got to we got to. Do, do I think for the people? Do I think you know, they listen to us? So sometimes we have to listen to them. I think it's only fair. It was Twinkies last time. What what t- what time was what's the, this week's? Uh, well, this week uh, we've had uh, writing from. Uh, so Dan has got in touch with the show uh, to inform us. Um, criminally, he hasn't seen Time Cop. I'm going to let that sink in for a moment. Um, he also hasn't seen About Time, which is less criminal, until you consider the fact it is his partner's favourite film. Now, he heard our uh, our podcast about About Time, and he was very interested by some of the points we raised about, uh, well, feminism, time travel, all sorts of stuff. Check it out if you haven't already. Um, but he watched the film with his partner, um, because it's her favourite movie, Made a big night of it, you know, movie night with the, with the partner. He lasted all of ten minutes before falling asleep and missed the entire film. And he was, oh, uh, he was in the doghouse after that. So my question to you, based so on that, well. have you ever done a similar thing, or have you have you can you do you fall asleep during films? I mean, we, this podcast wouldn't be great if one of us had a film narcolepsy. 
Well, actually, my, 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 I mentioned this on uh, our sister podcast recently, uh, which is, is coming out very soon or alongside this. Uh, my, my dad uh, took us to see Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, uh, the movie, at, uh, at Christmas time. And he lasted, 10 minutes would be pushing it, really. He, he lasted all of about five minutes before falling immediately asleep. And I just remember me and my little brother getting furious at him, just being like elbowing him constantly in the ribs. You're missing it, you're missing it, you're missing it. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, transpires, there wasn't all that much to, to miss, really. It's a, <laughs> you know, you could watch the last five minutes and kind of not miss a trick. Um, did, but, he, yeah. did, he, did he do the Cardinals? Like, did he start snoring or like making noises or anything? Would he be like embarrassing? Oh, oh yeah, it was sort of lips pursed up into the air. Oh, well, like, real, a, like a. <laughs> Yeah, real sort of nasal snore noises. Oh, God. I mean, when you was really, really well, just, were you at that really awkward age as well, where you're just like, Dad! there was a lot of those being cracked out um, along the way. And um, more recently, uh, I actually fell asleep during a gig. Um, uh, went to see uh, a Bombay Bicycle Club. Oh, right. uh, and it was during, it was, on, it was on, a, on a date night, and it was during that um that i was i was doing some training at work at the time and it just floored me so the middle of a concert uh it was dark there were seat, comfy seats you know we weren't in the standing area and uh yeah i succumbed to the to the you know the, the music was pretty dull and i succumbed to the uh the soothing in indie landfill that was bombay bicycle club absolutely yeah the soothing Indie landfill tones and the darkness, the, the hello darkness, my old friend. You know, it just took me, and that was it. I was I was snoring just like my dear father. Um, uh, I thought you meant I, like I went the darkness. To, I went to Frozen there. Two recently as well. Um, Don't tell me you stepped through that. And oh well, I didn't quite, but God, man, that is not. I mean, I don't know if you're a fan of Frozen. I, I quite like Frozen. Find me someone uh, with a heartbeat that doesn't like Frozen. Thank you, thank you. Uh, not as good as Tangled, uh, I will contest, but it is, um, yeah, Frozen 2. My God, did they drop the ball with that, in my opinion. And that was, I was near sleep there. Hard to hit the same highs, but no, that's, that's good. I, I'm not uh, I'm not playing one-upmanship here. Um, typically, I'm very good at staying awake during films, mainly because if I fall asleep outside of sleeping time, I won't fall asleep, which is why I don't nap. That's another story for another time. Um I can go one better uh, than your falling asleep at a gig story. Uh, I was stood in the crowd at a festival at uh, oh, it's probably like late afternoon, glorious sunshine, in front of the main stage. The future heads were on, and let's just say I'd had a little bit too much fun, and I fell asleep standing up next to my then girlfriend, who was quite horrified. But apparently I was like drifting in and out of consciousness for about 15 minutes, but still standing and not swaying or staggering or leaning on her. I just fell asleep standing up in, in, in a crowd watching the future heads, which is not a, uh, a comment on the future heads because I think they're slightly better than the landfill indie of uh, Bombay Bicycle Club, personal opinion. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm picturing sort of Partridge just sort of pretending to sleep on the bar uh, <laughs> kind of things at the minute. Um, but yeah, I, I gather there's probably no bar nearby in the, in the middle of the crowd. Uh, no, yeah. the bar was in short supply. Um, fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Dan, for your uh, thought-provoking uh, piece. It's led us on a lovely little tangent that we love to do. Um, I'm I'm playing Lighthouse Man. What's going on here? We've done a role reversal. I'm bringing us back to shore. 
That's the power of the question, Dan. Well done. Thank you. Well done. And just like Dan, you can get in touch with us. We would love to hear from you. Uh, we are on the social medias at Tropestormers. And we are also, if you want to write to us uh, as Dan did, it's tropestormers at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, all opinions are valid. Uh, we probably won't, or we may not agree with you, but, you know, that's that's the beauty of opinions, isn't it? You know, if you're a Bombay Bicycle Club super fan, then, you know, come at us with everything you've got because we have thrown some serious shade. And if you're listening, uh, yeah, sorry about the snow in, in, in Leicester. Um, that was me. I think enough time has passed that uh, you're off the hook with that one. We know you do. Look, look forward to your next album. <laughs> I think we got away with that. Um, cool. Well, um, shall we whip up a bit of a, a, bit of a frenzy? Um, a bit of a juicy dangler as to what we're featuring as our uh, headline act of this podcast for today, sir. Proceed, proceed. I, I look forward to experiencing the juicy dangler. Mm-mm-mm. I think you call it a bit of sizzle, don't you? Isn't that your line? Yeah, yeah, it's a bit more PG-13, that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine's, mine's more Mighty Boosh-influenced. Um Okay, so this film, it came out uh, last year, the year of our Lord, uh, 2019. Um, it cost $356 million to make. Whoa! That's, I mean, do you, know, do you know how many zeros that is? That's a lot of zeros. It's only bettered by the amount of zeros involved in the amount of money it made. It made nearly ten times that amount, grossing $2.8 billion worldwide. So that gives you a cheeky flavour of uh, the kettle of fish we're dealing with here. This is big boy, you know. We're we're going to need a bigger ocean, kind of jazz. I mean, that's got that's got to be you're talking sort of the biggest of all time when you're talking that sort of money, surely. Well, uh, cheeky reveal. This broke the box office record of all time. We'll come back to that in a bit. That's another cheeky little nugget for you. Um, and before the tape was rolling, uh, we we were briefly talking about the cast list. I don't know if you there is a more stellar or star-studied cast list. I mean, there is a reason for that in that this is the uh, the terminus of many films. Yeah, imagine the rap party after this. Like, imagine being like either an extra or a bit of a like B C list actor that lucked out and got into this and maybe got a cheeky line of dialogue. And like some of you could dine out on the anecdotes from this crowd for life. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's just a who's who of uh, Hollywood, really, um, and, and certainly in recent years. Well, you um, say in recent years. I didn't. I forgot that there was actually some royalty in the midst as well, as uh, certain Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, Rene Rousseau. Oh yeah, yeah, good shout. Well, I think we've whipped the people up into a frenzy. Shall we put them out of their, their misery? Yeah. Can I do the theme tune? I've been dying to do the theme tune. Mate, I'm from here on out. This is all you. Like, here's your moment. I'm, I'm shifting the spotlight over. It's on you. Do it as you please. I need, I need, a, I need a compliment there, really. You know, I, I might do this. Uh, might do it in my own time and do some sort of layering effect on top with that. I mean, I, I can't guarantee that won't take four or five minutes of, of pod time. But uh, yeah, you, you get the drift. I mean, um, are you, you going to go like, <laughs> like proper wall of sound and just start layering this up, and uh, it just becomes like, 
the uh, the Chinese democracy of like uh, podcasting uh, introductions. That is a hundred percent. If I can, if I can be asked. Um, <laughs> but after editing, after editing this, we'll see how the edit goes. I think that's become an iconic theme tune, and of course, it is none other than Avengers: Colon Endgame. Can't say colon Endgame. It just makes like someone's gonna get a colonoscopy. And, like Captain well, Ma- well, Captain America's got like serious <laughs> colon issues. Wait, are you suggesting? That it, well, they should have thought about this before they renamed the film. You know. No one looks at it and goes, "Oh, let's go and watch Avengers colon Endgame." No one says <laughs> punctuation. <laughs> the point of punctuation is that it's silent. It's just in but, your mind. I was trying to do it for some sort of, like, they just work with the beats of emphasis, you know, there. But uh, clearly I've, I've, I've done a bit of a misstep there. Um, <laughs> That's staying in the edit. Uh, okay, <laughs> Avengers, Avengers Endgame. There it is. I mean, you could have, like, I think a dramatic pause and uh, maybe adopting the uh, universal um, theatrical trailer voice of, like, Avengers Endgame. You know, like a dramatic pause or a link or something probably done the punctuation's job. I really but want to redo the, 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 my original in that voice, uh, but I might, I, might, I might spare you that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've already peaked, mate. Let's move on. Okay, okay. We were talking cast. We've got Robert Downey Jr. We've got Chris Evans. We've got Mark Ruffalo, Chris Hemsworth, Scarlett Johansson, Jeremy Renner, ah, Don Paul Rudd, Benedict Cumberbatch, Excuse the late, great Don Chadwick Boseman. How many times do I have to say Don Cheadle? Don Cheadle. Thank you. Of a uh, bad accent in uh, Ocean's Eleven himself. Precisely. Uh, but yeah, um, sa- sadly, we, we, just to mark a moment, we just we lost um, Chadwick Boseman, of course, uh, this year. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, what a, a... By all accounts, he, he was filming um, with whilst trying to deal with this illness that he had. Mm. And, it was cancer, uh, wasn't it? It was cancer, yeah. Mm. So... You know, hats off to, to Chadwick Boseman and, 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 you know, a short life, but a fantastic body of work um, at the same time. In the, yeah, uh, massively. I mean, a very physical role as well, which, you know, with a very debilitating disease, uh, just testament to, you know, the strength of him. And that's uh, uh, just a sort of segue back to the film itself. He, he has, a, he's got a bit, really a bit of a bit part in this, this, this movie. Um, but a very significant and very kind of well, well done handling of a lot of the the the, the characters, including um, Black Panther in in particular, because a lot of this is centered around the actions of the previous film in in Wakanda. Um, and I, I what one thing I I think's re- really difficult for a film like this to do is to have a cast like this, them all get some kind of breathing space with which to do their thing um and you know you've got a lot of different you know you've got a big green rage guy you've got a couple of people with super whoa, whoa, suits whoa he's a he's a reformed rage guy you're talking about hulky boy right i am yes yeah he's like smart yeah. hulk in this he's like i mean he's got that whole scene stealing bit where he's pretending to be all crazy hulk that had me in stitches yeah there's, there's some interesting things done with the uh, sort of previous states of mind and uh, locations in the, in the film itself. But yeah, what a cast, what a, a selection of, of, of talent. You know, people like 
Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer getting bit part of roles mm. uh, throughout. It's, it's Natalie not Portman. Sort of, indeed, yeah. It's not the sort of thing that you typically uh, associate them with, to be honest. But then there's kind of like a core, isn't there, that kind of, obviously they are the Avengers, um, and they we sort of follow them as the main protagonists. But even then, there's quite a lot of Avengers. Uh, but yeah, they're basically... They have the unenviable task of knitting together the threads of, what, 20, 30 films linked in the Marvel Universe? Like... I think it's 22. I think this, is a, well, I think this might be the 22nd film. I mean, the, much like the Transformers podcast, the uh, Marvel Studios has been going for uh, 10, not, not, well, not years in our case, but um, you know, we do share that similarity in the sense that they've had a... A, an anniversary of 10 um, recently. And as tenuous uh, links goes, I'm, I'm loving it, but carry on. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've completely lost it since Colon Endgame. And, uh, I'm, I'm... <laughs> the mask has slipped. <laughs> <laughs> you really got, really got in my head on that one, Jeeves. Um, so, uh, where was I? Oh, I've done it again. Uh, stellar cast weaving together all the, the various different bits. Uh, Marvel Studios being ten. We having we've done ten podcasts, but oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So ten, must mean ten, we're as good as Marvel, uh, at least. Yeah, at least. Um, so ten years of movies are culminating into this, and I, I don't think you know a lot of people are quite dismissive of these sort of superhero movies. And and don't get me wrong, we did a thing on origins last week, and. Uh, it, it, they do conform to a certain formula, they get certain character archetypes, you get the different um, powers and, you know, they can be handled well and, and poorly in, in equal measure. And, and they, they, they tend to, that tends to bear out that way. Um, there's a lot of bad superhero movies out there. But to take a genre, play with it the way they have and mesh all these narratives together to form a cast that have really good chemistry and um, characters that are quite outlandish, but at the same time, they're, you know, at their heart, their emotional heart and things like that, they're quite um, believable. You know, you, there are points where, you know, a Norse god interacting with a raccoon seems perfectly normal. Um, and, you know, I think that's quite an achievement to be able to do that. It's, it's something that the, um, the DC counterparts uh, tried to rush through with the Justice League film and, and, and failed spectacularly. So I, I guess you, you get both sides of the coin there. Well, they're, they're playing catch-up a lot, weren't they, DC? They, they realised that they've got quite a lot of decent uh, equity and tried to sort of build their own sort of universe, but with sort of less spectacular results. It's also amazing that this was uh, shot back-to-back -back with Infinity War and they did the two films together in 200 days. So it's, pre it's a pretty like, big undertaking to do something like that. Reminds me a lot of the Lord of the Rings stuff, which was like the original three were shot, I think, pretty much back to back over a period of a few years. I think most of the cast kind of moved to New Zealand for an extended period of time. Yeah, there's lots of clips of like Aragorn fishing and uh, Orlando Bloom doing some sort of uh, sandboarding or something. I don't know, something something young Orlando Bloom would do in his. Uh, his leg last days. I thought he just like went around just like spitting bars, wasn't he? Just like the hobbits are going to Isengard, Isengard, <laughs> Isengard. But that's just what he was doing back then, just dropping a lot of uh, class A materials and just getting doof doof. Um, 
So um, there was a cheeky little fact I found out about this, which I think you were quite taken with, um, involving a certain Jim Cameron. Would you care to elaborate, sir? Yeah, I mean, we've alluded to the fact that uh, this made all the money. All, um, literally every money. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Um, I... I mean, I saw this on on the uh, the opening night. I was on a, a work trip, and I just said to the the girl who I was working with, uh, "Do you want to just go see um, Avengers this evening?" And I have to say, like, there's there's not many movies where the the kind of cinema experience is is riotous, really, in 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 the best possible way. I've been in some bad ones where there's just been some horrible chav kid uh, just chucking popcorn across the place. On his own but um this this one uh there were certain moments in this movie that you could just tell they, they just got lightning in a bottle really in, in the way that uh, that the people were, were were reacting to the various lines and the various scenes within the film and there was cheers and there was it was you know it was one of those um cinema experiences you, you don't really forget and i think that that bears out on the macro level as well, thinking about just how much money and how well this did worldwide, that Jim Cameron, the guy whose film was at top with the uh, Avatar, which, um, you know, I, I, inexplicably to me, that I don't know why that was such a massive film, why that made so much money. Uh, but... Was it Avatar yeah. or was it Titanic? Uh, it was Avatar, uh, I think. Uh, my, my research said Titanic, but we'll, we'll agree to disagree. Let me check this. I'm pretty sure it was Avatar, but he, because he directed Titanic, wasn't it? It's like he's sunk that. What was the stat? So uh, it passed 19, it passed the box office total for Titanic. Uh, hence, Jim Cameron sent a message to the Marvel Studios uh, upon dethroning his film. Uh, it was a photo of the Avengers A being the iceberg that sank the Titanic. Oh, right. Okay. Well, I like, I do like that, and I also, <laughs> I know that it, it did beat uh, Avatar as well because, um, yeah, it's Avatar has has had long reigned as the the kind of the film that has, um, you know, the fact that the director of those two films, uh, very very successful and highly grossing films, um, took his time to 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 do that with the Avengers A sinking the Titanic is just that's just a a beautiful beautiful image for me and uh, fair play to Jim Cameron really you know um, he seems quite a serious guy mm. uh, the rest of the time but, quite intense um, swanning off in his submarines and such um, but yeah good for, good for you Jim mm. um, also uh, someone of note um, we, we touched on uh, Chadwick Boseman um, this was the last film to feature a cameo by Stan Lee wow poignant Pretty poignant. He's he's the man who started it all, I guess. Him and uh... yeah, I mean, we could do a very long podcast just about his body of work, but uh, it's phenomenal just uh, to think the creativity and imagination of the man. And this is kind of uh, the legacy, isn't it? The colon legacy. <laughs> there we go. We brought it back. Somber moment. <laughs> I'm owning it. I'm owning it. He's, you, oh, no, I appreciate you owning it. Okay. Before we get into the tropes, uh, do you want to hear some fun Robert Downey Jr. bits? Oh, I always I want to hear all, all sorts of bits about that man. So, uh, former former Hellraiser of the Hollywood scene, Robert Downey Jr. Um, so, imagine you're part of this massive ensemble cast of like who's who of uh, Hollywood, basically. Imagine you know between takes and whatnot, 
he needs a little like have a cheeky little wind down or whatnot. And uh, God bless Rob Downey, Robert Downey Jr. You know, he just brings musicians on set to play during lunch and stuff. You know, everyone's just having lunch, and then you got some people just playing. I mean, I, the first thing I thought was that he'd bring Jack Johnson. That's the vibe I'm getting from him. I noticed you said about the ones where he was eating snacks as well, which never really occurred to me. But he, he does this an awful lot throughout the Marvel films. He's just scrunning like crisps on set and nuts and things like that all the time. Yeah, well, apparently he hid his own personal snacks all over the sets, and the scenes where he's eating snacks and offers them to his co-stars are all improvised. Tony Stark's character and Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of him just seems to be this evergreen, it doesn't matter who you are, I'm talking to you the same way kind of cadence that he adopts. Yeah, do you think that that whole hamburger scene, cheeseburger scene in the first Iron Man was uh, just an ad-libbed, he'd just been to McDonald's and come back, and he's like, oh, I'll do the scene now. Yeah, but they make it part of the um, the kind of narrative that he wants to, you know, experience an American cheeseburger after being stuck in the cave. But uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, he's it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, we're, t we're talking about um, this being the culmination of uh, the films from that initial point, really. And uh, when Iron Man came out in two thousand and eight, I don't think Marvel really foresaw uh, this being the um, the end game, if you will, this idea that they're going to have this huge myth arc of um, all these strands of all these really successful films coming together to, um, to to form this one larger kind of narrative in homage to the uh, the Infinity War arc in the in the comic book. It's 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 really quite something, and it's it's come together in in a relatively short period of time, but with such industry and such. Uh, care and attention it's um it's it's truly an amazing thing in my opinion and uh, i i'm sure you know in some quarters they get lots of credit for it but um i guess your more auto directors and your critics perhaps from the oscars and the academy and whoever probably probably don't see it that way i mean it was never going to win an oscar and not on merit i don't mean it in a mean or a sort of sneering way but i don't know it's just not the sort of film that they'd give you know an oscar for they'd probably just it's not a sort of brand they're looking to sort of sell, is it? Well, more fool them. More you know. fool them. It's time for Jim's first trope. And my first trope is kind of the whole premise of this that sets it off. I'm going to talk about the kind of stakes that are in this film. And you've really got this kind of darkest hour, half empty earth kind of situation going in. So we'll call it, we'll call it darkest hour for shorthand. But this happens a lot in a lot of films where they want to establish quickly the, um, the stakes at play. Usually you've got some kind of apocalyptic going on or we've talked about zombie apocalypses and things like that before. Your, your, your experience, the, the stakes are established very early on and your characters are already at their, their lowest ebb. And it's about that journey from that point onward. In, in this film in particular, there seems to be very, very... Um, insurmountable odds because I mean of course it, it finishes off the back of the, the last film in Infinity War where you have a villain who has ultimate power, he's just omnipotent the Avengers um, are, are left wondering how, how they can avenge uh, really because they, they we, at this point they're in complete disarray right? Yeah I mean they're, they're even talking to each other at the start of the film because they're in a uh... Everything's basically just turned pants, hasn't it? Like half the world has disappeared population-wise. Massive spoiler there. Um, half the universe, in fact, has disappeared. 
um, all because of a man clicking his fingers in a shiny goblet glove. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of disillusioned characters. No, not all disillusioned, no. Some people are actually like living their best lives in this uh, in this eventuality. Yeah, I, it's 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 interesting. You've kind of got one one really interesting character in this is is Black Widow uh, because she's kind of a spy master um, in this. She's you can tell she's trying to hold what vestiges there were of the Avengers together um, by holding basically hologram Zoom calls. <laughs> pretty much, <laughs> um, it's, uh, it foreshadowed a world that we now inhabit. It sure did. It sure did. Yeah, this kind of empty streets and uh, Zoom calls across the galaxy. Um, yeah, you're right. Um, so, but the, her character in in particular, um, and I'm sure we'll come on to her a bit further later. But you can tell that she's at a wit's end. She doesn't really know. She's she's lost um, a, a lot of people who she cared about. Um, deeply and, and were any real connection to humanity that I, I find so it, it all these characters even though they're it's humanity facing this a lot of these characters face this kind of thing in different ways I mean similarly you've got the character of Hawkeye who in the opening scene just loses his family we're not shown that from the but the, the, the opening is him having a barbecue um, and then his <laughs> wife and children um, just just disappear into dust and you're like fuck <laughs> like it's it's this ain't your this ain't your grandpappy's uh superhero movie you know it's going to open with some serious darkness in, involved with it yeah massively but then i guess kind of like you say there is obviously that humanity um and the sadness but then there's also like some great moments of comedy as well um all the scenes where thor is basically just uh like a loser drunk are pretty pretty amusing um especially the uh the character the korg the taiko watiti does the voice and they're just like hanging out and playing playstation and drinking beer um uh, made me chuckle anyway yeah i suppose that handles that, that idea because thor at the start of the film he actually um he well he, he kills thanos right he's he's chops his head off chops his head clean off he just establishes his badass credentials um much like he did towards the end of the film and then the next time we see him he's got this kind of uh humorous but quite tragic um big lebowski type thing going on he's living in new asgard um and he, he did you know he's supposed to be a king but he, he looks far from it you know he's, he's he doesn't really know what to to do with this this kind of false title i guess he believes he has um and before before he had ultimate power uh and he, he didn't really know what he doesn't know really what to do with himself beyond that because because he, despite his power and despite the, the you know the team ethic that these people have together they, they can't fix this problem there's this insurmountable seemingly problem that they have to try and fix yeah very very much so um and i felt that towards the end of the the infinity war i felt like what the hell are they going to do? Like, how are they going to do this? Uh, so in, in, in that sense, I think when you, not to talk about that film too much, because we don't want to blend it, but it obviously has filmed in the same time period um, and, and obvious crossover, you know, it's, 
it really leads on really well, I feel, uh, from that kind of cliffhanger moment where just everybody's completely speechless and they just do not know what to do. Yeah, it's, well, it's kind of like um, the darkest hour, isn't it? So, like you say, like most of the heroes are dead, half of the universe is gone, um, Thanos has basically won, he has the Infinity Stones, which are unbeatable, uh, and the Avengers are kind of a scattered force. I mean, at the outset of the film, it almost seems rather insurmountable, a lot of the hurdles that uh, they're going to have to overcome. I mean, so, some of the, the, the characters who are Earth-based usually aren't even on Earth at that point. Yeah, Downey Jr.'s rattling around in a tin can with uh, a cyborg. Uh, yeah, Nebula, yeah. So it's... It's it's one of those because and, and then when he comes back, it's really quite arresting. I think when he, he you you see the Danny, Robert Downey Jr. and the Tony Stark that you're you're used to at the start of the previous film, and then by the start of this one, you've got Thor, um, who's a, a slob. You've got um, Robert Downey Jr., who is this kind of emaciated, neurotic character, uh, complete opposite from how he usually is is portrayed. Uh, and then there's then there's this sudden time jump, isn't there? Um, of, of the, elaborates on the fact that it's been five years um, since that point. So the Avengers have just been pretty much spending half a decade just not knowing what to do, going from the guys who kind of just have an instant solution or, you know, there's always, there's always a fist or a, a punch ready to give to the right guy at the right time, um, but they, they just can't do it on this occasion. So I, th I think when, when you watch this, it, it, it's one of those sorts of things that subverts your usual expectations, really. Of a, of a superhero film and, and, and what can be done when you build a universe like this. Yeah, it's like, yeah, like you say, they're in the wilderness period and it's kind of how they, the triumph over adversity. It's uh, it's what we were talking about a bit um, in the, the last bolt with superheroes. And uh, it's kind of why, why we love origin stories because they're kind of a narrative that we can relate to. And when you see a set of characters faced with problems and challenges, be they like personal or situational that they have to overcome and you become more invested with it and, you know, you want to root for them and you know, boo the bad guy and cheer on the heroes and whatnot. And seeing them as fallible, like realistically constructed characters, which, you know, after 20 films, you know, we've, we've, we've been on quite a journey with all of these characters through countless hours and battles and various other things like if you're watching this film even if you have a passing interest you're pretty invested um you want to you know how this is all going to play out because mm, it leading up to this that there was some pretty a lot of ground covered in the previous films because you've got the whole infinity uh saga uh where you know thanos has only just really turned up in the previous movie, uh, despite being alluded to quite a lot as a as a as a force, um, but prior to this, you've got the seeds of disarray amongst the Avengers with things like Civil War, where Tony Stark and Captain America haven't been on speaking terms, uh, and it's it it's the Avengers have only just really uh, got back together, um, let alone to be at full strength, um, and then the darkest hour hits where. You know, the, the stakes are at, at their highest. Half of humanity gone, half of the heroes missing that were part of this force protecting the, the galaxy. And, and um, yeah, what's to be done about it? 
which I suppose is the, the, the key question. Indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, and like you say, it, it deals and delves into sort of the more human aspects of all of this rather than just being like a rip-roaring action film. I actually kind of <laughs> struggle a little bit with this film purely just to sort of try and keep all the various threads, you know, in my mind without it just becoming a jumbled bowl of spaghetti of of story narratives and threads just sort of keeping track of it all and remembering oh yeah i mean if you try to watch all of this in sequence as one of my friends did during lockdown um oh wow i think you'd be like just speaking in like marvel tongues for a little while that's a slog isn't it that is a slog even the last two films you know if you went into this blind it's like I remember seeing somebody went to see the the sequel to Blade Runner, and I remember they they came out of the cinema going, "Oh, that was shit." And I didn't get any of that, and I was like, I said to them, "I didn't know them," and they were just in front of me. I said, "Have you seen the first one?" And they said, "No." Said, <laughs> what are you why, expecting? <laughs> why why are you going? Why are you doing this? Like, did you think there was like like twenty forty seven? Did you think there were twenty forty seven films or one? Did you know how many films there were in? in the sequence of this franchise, like he just had no idea. So I, I can imagine doing the same with this, with this film, if you came at it blind, you know, there's a raccoon, there's a, a, a version of Thor that looks like the big Lebowski, um, there's a, he, who lives with a rock man, and there's a version of the Hulk wearing a cardigan. Um, you're just gonna, you're, not, you're just not gonna be able to pick up the threads really, unless you've seen at least the previous film. And even that then is, is quite a, a, a struggle really because he, you know it's all talk of stones and uh you know time and mind and reality and all all these different sorts of things so yeah you've got some you've got some legwork to do really haven't you yeah i mean it was never meant to be like work as a standalone film i think if you did watch it and you sort of hadn't seen any of the other films or followed it like there's still enjoyment to be had you know visually um the script and everything like it It'd be enjoyable for a you know a three-hour film where you have no real idea what's going on, and you're just going to be clutching at straws through whatever pop culture references you picked up throughout your life. But yeah, I mean, most people are coming into this with their eyes open, kind of know what to expect, and and as a sort of tying it all together, you know, the unenviable task of trying to tie all of this universe together neatly was going to they're always going to be on a hiding to nothing a little bit with that, but I think they pulled it off pretty magnificently. You make the comparisons with something like, I think the closest thing that's tried to attempt this is probably a Star Wars or the Lord of the Rings with the, the Hobbit films where they've tried to bring elements of the, the, the original trilogies into the, the prequel trilogies and um, not quite managed it uh, each time. Um, I think this, you know, you're not talking prequels here, but this really does um, give it a, a bloody red hot go. and. Uh, and, and and with quite quite obviously the, the, it speaks for itself the, the amount of money that these things have made that people seem to trust this franchise to and this um, and the Marvel Studios in particular to look after their own stories. Um, so when when you when you're presented with this idea of the darkest hour and this build up, you you know you've got a, a, a mythos behind you telling you that this this villain is the big bad. He is the one to be taken seriously. You know he isn't just you, you, you've been shown his actions. He's He's already tried to take over the world by proxy using Loki in the Avengers film. Um, and, you know, now he's coming to, to, to sort Earth out by himself. Um, so 
Well, yeah. Also, in the first Guardians of the Galaxy, he used um, oh, who was the other guy uh, who was like a Cree fanatic, and he used him as like a puppet. Oh, uh, Ronan. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So he's got form. He does. He does. Yeah. That big purple bastard. Um, and Josh Brolin, of course, who was who who plays him, another top top actor hidden behind um, CGI. Um, what a villain! What what a villain! And uh, it, it it really is um, when you compare it to the, the the DC output, who who do try and just ape it with a, a you know an imposing CGI character. That the CGI and the physicality of the characters half of this really, isn't it? It's it's just it's his motivations and the idea that he's, he's he seems to be willing to go to any lengths to achieve what he's what is basically the destruction of the universe uh, and he you know it's it's regardless of whether you think he's got this big purple flappy chinned being um he it, his motivations are quite convincing i mean it's a rather sort of drastic final solution if you will isn't it and it's a very sort of utilitarian approach and it's kind of um given you know global heating and everything that's going on on, on this planet and it kind of being the stretching of resources and the the argument that he makes i mean obviously it's it's mass genocide on a scale which you know you can barely even fathom like half of existence being wiped out you know um but he deems that to be the price to allow the universe to continue and for life to continue. So it's quite, you know, probing like philosophical questions being posed. It's heavy stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. There you go. The darkest hour, heavy stuff indeed. The idea of a half empty earth. Now, talking of heavy stuff, we've got to tackle the next trope, and it is a biggie. Well, looks like it's time for Chris's first trope. It is a biggie. I mean, I'm probably going to go cross-eyed. I'm going to keep my eye on you in case I see a little trickle of blood coming out of your nose or ear. That'll be a telltale sign that maybe we've we've gone too far. My first trope, time travel. We're all fairly uh, familiar with the concept of time travel. Um, it's been done in countless movies. We've talked about it a lot here on this podcast. Go back and check it out if you haven't already. But sure have. from, from your Bill and Ted's to your Back to the Futures to your time cops, to your about times. There's kind of some law universal laws of time travel um, for the silver screen. And one of the most prominent ones is the idea of the butterfly effect. And for those not initiated, the butterfly effect in simple terms is the idea that if a butterfly flaps its wings, the reverberations of that set in chain a uh, chain reaction of events which could cause a hurricane on the other side of the planet it's cause and effect so if you time travel back and kill hitler as a baby then the whole nazism thing won't have happened and the time timeline will be fundamentally altered and the past dictates the future and if you change the past you change the future are you still with me jim yeah i'm just uh, doing an eye check you seem to be good um still good yeah can't no see bleed. any no blood, no blood visible. Um, fantastic. Um, time to bleed. Ain't got time to bleed. Um, if it bleeds, we can kill it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, now it's time to turn everything I just said on its head. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
we're gonna have some great outtake material for this i can feel it um a sphincter says were uh right so one thing i love about this already is the fact that the directors consulted real quantum scientists to try and figure out the mechanics of time travel and how this would work within the film because you've got ant-man and he is all about being in the quantum realm i mean it might be argued that this film you could basically say it's the fate of the world came down to a rat letting scott lang aka ant-man out of the quantum realm pretty much yeah it just looks over a button doesn't it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, his van is like in storage or something, in like a big yellow self storage or something, whatever. So yeah, they they actually consulted scientists. They didn't just timey wimey it or just do what they fancy. So here we go. Here comes the science. Um, are you sitting comfortably, Mr. Carberg? I will check on you in case um, the eyes, the blood. You know, if you just basically nod off. Yeah, we're good. I've, I've just got stuck some tissues up my nose, and we're good to go. Fantastic. Okay, so background uh scientifically speaking according to john archibald wheeler's participatory universe model that's not easy to say if time travel was possible and you traveled to change the past it would instantly trigger the creation of a parallel universe copy of that time and the changes would not affect the time in which you came from right let's try and unpick that because the first time i read it it was the whole brain full of spaghetti. Um, actually, I can segue to Smart Hulk, who explains this quite well as well. So rather than going back in time and killing Thanos as a baby, uh, that would have no effect on the timeline that they're in. So if you go back in time, uh, the, pa- the past book... Um... Well, it's quite a self-aware discussion of it, isn't there? That links, yeah, there's, they, there's a big joke about Scott Lang basing all of his ideas on time travel on time travel movies, like the ones yeah. that we've talked about. Um, so, so going yeah, back a, in time and killing Thanos as a baby, it won't affect their timeline. There'll be a split in time, and there'll be an alternative timeline that runs parallel where that did change, but it won't change their timeline. So it's pointless to go back and try and upset through the butterfly effect. It doesn't work in quantum theory. Because everything, everything involving the stones will have already happened to help them arrive to the point that they are at, considering going back in time. Yes. So that's kind of when um, Smart Hulk in, in cult encounters the Ancient One um, from Doctor Strange and uh, has this explained about how the stones affect time and that they are our understanding of time and everything linked to it. Okay. So, I mean, we've gone from this darkest hour situation. Time travel, I believe, is the solution that they eventually come across because Scott comes out of the quantum realm. There is a, a link between the way time behaves and the quantum realm and because he's experienced it. Um, yeah, because so... he, he was only gone for what felt like a second, but five years elapsed. That was like the trigger, wasn't it? Yeah. So we got to, how do we get to this position where we've got this fractured earth, darkest hour to time travel being the answer? What, how does that pan out in the, the, the movie and in terms of the parallel timelines? Well, I mean, initially they, uh, they put smart Hulk on the case, but he's not so au fait with the whole time travel thing. 
despite his best efforts, he <laughs> there's a, a, an amusing montage where he basically balls us up, uh, sending Ant-Man back in time with uh, hilarious consequences in that it just ages him radically in different ways. Um, and it's basically about getting the band back together and getting uh, Robert Downey Jr. on board as the uh, genius playboy billionaire away from his selfish desires to have a, a happy uh, riding off into the sunset with his family, which won't, uh, if they go back and change time, then he's risking the life he's built for himself. But if the theory of uh, quantum physics holds true, then changing the past won't matter anyway. So one of my, I mean, one of the brilliant things about this movie is is they play with genre. I like the Winter Soldier was a, you had the Avengers, which was an all out action movie. It was kind of the, the first instance of the, the band getting together. Um, whereas by the time you got to the second phase of the Marvel movies, you had them playing with genres a little bit. So the Winter Soldier was like a, a the, one of the best sort of spy movies without actually having a spy in it. Um, it was all all about shield and, and intrigue and, and things like that. You had um, Captain America at the the, the, the center of all that. Um, this one is an actual heist movie, isn't it? In the in the vein that like sort of Ocean's Eleven and, and, and Mission the Mission Impossible movies often turn into. Um, you get this this these sort of high stakes job that they have to do in order to get a chance of getting one over on Thanos and, and, and restoring the world to how it was because their plan is, if I get this correctly, is to use time travel and the parallel timelines that exist to retrieve the stones from the various points they know that they're at in time, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, all good so far. So you've got this, this, what turns into a heist movie and inevitably we know that in any, you, you've got a group of professional people who know what they're doing. Um, they have a plan. They try and enact it. There's obviously going to be setbacks, um, and they they experience these these setbacks just like you would in a heist movie, but with the added element of time travel, which I think is brilliant. I just love the idea of that 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 whole idea of risking bumping into your your past selves, um, stealing things from them. Um, it's just it's it's just the writers and the directors having fun with the, the genre at this point because they've, they've given themselves the breathing room and scope to be able to do it. Um, and it's, it's just fantastic. Like that was one of my favorite elements of the, the, the film really is, is that. Yeah. And there's, there's also, I mean, like the whole heist thing as well. You've got the, the element of a double agent with Nebula, like unwittingly. So um, to an extent, um, which kind of, lets Thanos in on the game basically but it's just it's very well interestingly played and I think it sort of rounds her character off in an interesting way and I think the journey that she goes on through the films is like interesting to watch as well yeah she's quite a tragic character really isn't she she's just, she, she's kind of desperate to impress but only to kind kind of spare this sort of persecution that she she faces because her, her stepsister Gramora is is always seen as the the stronger or more able and 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 or just the more capable warrior in this kind of warrior culture that they're immersed in hmm. she just wants acceptance and she kind of finds it in the end with uh the ragtag bunch headed up by uh Chris Pratt's character Star-Lord yeah yeah 
Now, well, the time to get into the time travel itself, we get an explanation from Smart Hawk, who seems to know what he's doing. They say they need Tony uh, to, to, to devise time travel, and he devises time travel in the quick, one of the quickest times since Dr. Emmett Brown smashed his head off the toilet. Um, you might say it's almost quicker than uh, time travel being explained in Time Cop. It, yes, yeah, if you can believe it. Um, it, it, it really is. It's done in a, you know, it's basically, oh, I've got to figure this out. There's some jargon when he's speaking to Friday or Jar the version of Jarvis. That's it. This loop appears. He's invented time travel. He's got it. Yeah, and I mean, the, the vehicle of the time travelness as well, like they've got their little suits and stuff, and they sort of fall through the quantum realm. Um, but I mean, you know, it's not a phone booth. It's not a DeLorean. It's certainly not a weird sort of rocket craft on some rails that disappears, you know, on re-entry and then reappears as necessary. Um, and it's not a watch either. Don't worry, Bernard had to feature here somewhere. Bit dickhead. He would have fucked this up. He would, yeah. He, ugh, we'd, we'd, got, we'd be just primordial soup if it was up to that arsehole. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. Bernard. Someone would have to take the watch off him and just, I don't know, put him in a corner somewhere. In fact, you'd sacrifice Bernard off that high tower to get one of the Infinity Stones. I would, I'd push him off in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, soul stone for you, Bernard. It's interesting because it's just crazy, isn't it? You've got time travel, but then you've got this concept of these stones that have powers, the characters that have powers, um, the time travel suits that they have, which interestingly were, were all CGI, by the way. Um, mm, yeah, I, I, I came across that, like... That is seamless, seamless use of technology. Yeah, there's some fan, some fantastic visual work with the the, the suits and the way that um, powers work. Um, mm. There's some really inventive uses of it as of, of their different abilities as well. Um, before before I'm just gonna like gonna pump the brakes a bit before we fanboy too hard. Um, there is a um, a time travel problem posed. I won't dwell on this too long. I'll just like throw it out there. So a potential problem in this uh, time travel logic that we've established in the uh, participatory universe model. So Steve Rogers goes back in time to return the stones um, to when they were taken so that the whole thing works. It's a bit like in Bill and Ted that they have to go and set up everything so that it all plays out. But instead of returning to the present day, he decides to uh, go back in time and live his life with his love interest Peggy Carter and you see him like slow dancing and everything and and then you get that final scene where he sat on the park bench as an old man. Problem here is um, that any changes that he makes in this past should have no effect on the present so essentially he wouldn't be living in their timeline, he wouldn't be able to be sat on that bench because under this participatory universe model, him changing the past in that way would have fractured the timeline, creating an alternate parallel timeline in which he went and he wouldn't appear in their one. Are you still with me? I'm not so seeing I, any blood. My eyes just went 360 in my head uh, for, for a second there, but I, I think I picked up the, the gist of that. It's it's it, it seems to be the case that well, for one thing, I remember in another film, she, she, Peggy says that she, she met somebody else and had a completely different life. So Captain America's stolen a husband or some, uh, stolen a wife there um, at some point. So, oh, he's, um, done, he's done an about time. He's just ruined someone else's life. It would seem so. It a selfish so. game. Oh, yeah. man, that, that completely undermines. Um, did you know that at one point during the genesis of the script, they were thinking about making Captain America for Soulstone? 
that he was going to be one of the stones. Oh, I kind of hate that idea. <laughs> I, I hate that idea. And that's that's definitely not soul stone material, like stealing someone else's lady friend. and uh... More like the arsehole stone. Yeah, it's interesting what they do with each of the stones and how they, what what they can do. I mean, because because of the, the the time stone, obviously, is the one that gets used and and delivered back last. Or you know, the the only way he could be there is if he was still in possession of it, which doesn't work in terms of how he's supposed to have fixed fixed the timeline. Uh, I yeah, the, the, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? There is some debate between the Russos and I think people who are fans of the, the movie at large, they're kind of, there's a, a lot of debate still about how that would work. I'm sure it's one of these things that you're not supposed to think about too much. It's just this nice idea because it ultimately ends with Captain America has kind of, he's got Captain America and Tony Stark are kind of the linchpins of these, this, this franchise, aren't they? In terms of their relationship, Captain America's initial film being called the, the first Avenger. Then you have the civil war, which is the, 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 the battle between those two mm. um, and their opposing ideals. Um, yeah, it's 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 kind of they they need to give Steve his 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 rewards in the same way that Tony's had them. But um, yeah, the the best way to do that w would be for him to get with the love of his life. If we want to think about things traditionally, mm. so yeah, it does create a bit of a a bit of a maybe an unintended paradox in itself, which you know you shouldn't really be experiencing with this kind of time travel. I don't think. Mm. A little cheeky segue for you, since you mentioned uh, Downey Jr. and uh, Chris Evans there. Apparently, they were the only actors that were given um, actual drafts of the script. They're the only ones privy to it, whereas all the others basically um, either got given bits and bobs, um, or they filmed their scenes with green screen and didn't know who they were addressing. So apparently, um, Tom Hiddleston dropped dropped a, a whoopsie and revealed. Uh, too much about one of the films previously so they basically gave him a series of fake scripts and made him do a series of different takes on a green screen to nobody in particular and then just took <laughs> took that because they didn't trust him enough so uh to not screw this up yeah that tricksy loki exactly he's he, a mischief maker he, he actually uh, disappears doesn't he he's, he's he goes off somewhere with the a version of the tesseract the Tesseract, yeah. So it's that's another another thing. I know that that is going to get resolved in the sense that it was actually an offshoot series going to be happening with him. But um, I think that's that version of him, which is the the, the two thousand and eleven version, I think, is uh, is the one that will will be the one appearing in this this new series because he he dies at the start of the previous one. That's what that's the thing, isn't it? It's it's crazy. There's just there's so many different strands and and different uh versions of each character you know you've got two versions of thanos in this you've got seemingly potentially two versions of captain america um it's 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 going to be an interesting one when it comes to the trope storming uh, element of this towards the end now jim's second trope fan service do you know what i mean by that chris uh, lay, lay it on me so with inevitably with something like marvel you've got Decades before even films are in, in the offing, you've got decades of uh, fans and, and as, as franchises go, this has become one of the, the biggest for the Marvel movies along with Star Wars and uh, things like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, of course. Uh, and we could get into big debates about which is, which is bigger. Um, with this being the highest grossing film ever, um, there's a big argument to, to say that, that this is in certainly with a shout. 
And with that, there comes this idea of fan service or fan homage. I, I really felt when I was watching this is that they were trying to re reward people for having experienced or seen the rest of the other films. So there were little nods throughout this to other little elements. So when you get to the, the final scene, which we'll talk about, or the final scenes, which we'll talk about very soon, um, you get um, the little lines like Sam saying, mostly a lot of the characters who are returning from, um, you know, once they're brought back from the snap, um, they, they, they have their own little lines and their own introductions that they, they, they're given. Um, so that whole thing of on your left um, is, is a, a big nod to the introduction of Falcon in uh, The Winter Soldier, um, where he makes his debut. And then you've got a lot of things like calls back to the, the, the when there's that brilliant part where uh, the Avengers version of Captain America is fighting uh, the Endgame version of uh, Captain America um, for the uh, for the the the, 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 um, the Mind Stone, um, and he you know he gets fed up with him from for saying his own catchphrase back at him. You know, this like I could do this all day kind of thing, and it's uh, it's just a really really funny scene, little throwaway scene, but it's it's this idea of fan service and 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 giving the people what they want kind of thing. Um, so. Lots of examples throughout the, the 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 series as well. You know that's happened in, in previous movies. There's the the the, the references to, uh, especially when they go back in time, as we've we've alluded to, um, the the little nods to Thor in Asgard and what his life was like before. Um, he actually gets hold of Mjolnir back from that uh, period, and and it's, he's got uh, Mjolnir again as his hammer um, to. Um, to, to you know, uh, provide as an extra extra weapon and, and get that idea of Thor being worthy back, and of course one of the the big big uh, scenes in this and fan service is when with Manolo, oh, I can't say it. Once more, with got, I've said it three times and I, I think I've tied my tongue in knots. Uh, Thor's hammer, Thor's original hammer, Mjolnir, uh, when that finally ends up in the hands of. Captain America, um, that is one of the big kind of fan service scenes because I remember being in that uh, cinema and there being rapturous applause and cheers when that happened. And I think that's one of the big reasons why uh, the Russos themselves didn't want people to, to, to spoil it or reveal anything really about the film is because there were these little moments and a big moment like that, um, which really rewarded the, the fans because this that goes all the way back to... Um, uh, I mean, the title itself of the, the film Endgame comes from Age of Ultron, which is the second Avengers film, um, where Tony uses the word Endgame whilst pointing at the, the sky to, to talk about, um, you know, the idea of something coming from space to attack the Earth. Um, and then there's a little nod in that film to Captain America being able to lift the hammer. Uh, and then it comes into fruition in this the scene where he he gets hold of the hammer and just absolutely checks Thanos's clock, uh, and it's it's just well, that is the height of fan service in in this film in terms of them 
um, kind of uh, rewarding the fans, if you like, or acknowledging the fact that fans have certain expectations. I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a dangerous game to be playing. Yeah, because um, you run the risk of, you know, playing to the audience, don't you? And kind of trying to impress or trying to satisfy everybody rather than sort of staying true to, or potentially staying true to, you know, what your ideals and what you actually want to achieve with the picture. And, and linked kind of closely to this, there's a kind of societal expectations around that as well. Like we've already said that this film has some sort of social commentary about the environment and things like that in, in some part, very minimally, and quite subtle for a, a film of this type, certainly. But there is one very overt scene where there's like this kind of team up of the, 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 the female superheroes, which <laughs> has kind of, it's garnered a, a, a very mixed reaction um, in, in terms of the, the, the film itself. So maybe, maybe we can have a little bit of a chat about that because uh, it kind of links nicely with your, your final trope, really. But it's that idea of, um, you know, you've got this really expectant and quite loud uh, fan base. How much, do you, you, how much do you pander to them? What do, you, what do you do to sort of reward them? You know, it's like tossing them meat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how, how, do you, how do you keep everybody happy that's the thing isn't it like how do you maintain your integrity and your merit and all the thing all the good how do you not like undo all of the good work you've done just for a, a few sort of cheap laughs or little sort of nods to revered people and characters and and just to tick boxes maybe even and just or to say you've done it it's it's a very sort of difficult balancing act and i think they really they achieve it very well with this film um and i like your little segue there onto my next trope well how about that that's christmas second trump thank you for listening this being called avengers colon endgame obviously endgame i mean it's all there in the title and that got me thinking this film has is a lot of movies build up to the big badass battle sequence it starts promisingly you've got who is it who basically stands on their own and there's thanos well at this point you've got you've got the, the build-up in this when um prior to this captain america's got thor's hammer you've got the, some of the most powerful members of the avengers in iron man's tech um, with his, his, his new technology he's got, his new nano suit that he's got. You've got the Thor, who is the Asgardian god, uh, reborn, really. He's got t two hammers now. Uh, and you've got Captain America, the super soldier. And, uh, you know, the combined might of those three cannot defeat uh, Thanos by going toe-to-toe -to -toe with him. Uh, and he's, he, he actually breaks Captain America's shield, doesn't he? Which is, he does. Uh, it's quite a shocking moment. Is that, also, again, is that made from adamantium? Is that like Wolverine's skeleton? No, it's, uh, I don't know if adamantium is mentioned, but vib vibranium is the stuff that... Um, oh, Wakanda is built Wakanda, on. Wakanda, yeah, they, they, they have and what um, Black Panther's suit is made from because it absorbs vibrations. And to see that um, shatter is, is quite a big visual sort of symbolic Metaphor, moment. Isn't in it? Terms yeah. Of it. Yeah. So, yeah... Um, the cast assemble, they all use Doctor Strange's weird sort of firework circle portal things. And, you know, basically it's your classic battlefield, bad guys on one side, you know, the protagonists are kind of a lot of monsters, a lot of quite villainous characters, and then they're pitted against basically the good guys. And it's the kind of call to arms 
when they all everyone turns up even the people you didn't think might turn up and it's kind of like the whole gang is there and then they basically just charge into one massive cgi melee big big badass uh, sequence it's the set piece isn't it it's the bit that all of us has been sort of leading up to but in endgame it's not because there's quite a lot of the film that actually comes after this this doesn't sort of really settle things definitively and it, it got me sort of thinking about other films where they have a similar sort of huge battle sequence where it is actually it is you know the culmination of the film and everything's been leading there it's what the film maybe ends on or it sort of it settles something this doesn't like definitively settle anything for me um and as sort of battle sequences go like it's good there's lots to admire here especially when there's just so much going on but i do i do did feel it was a bit sort of cgi blur like not michael bay-esque you know i didn't feel sick um because of like motion sickness but you know i we i said it to you before we started rolling um for me the gold standard in this is the battle of helms deep that's like for me the, the top of the bunch and this doesn't hit those heights for me Oof, big call um yeah. i i remember being uh sort of on the verge of tears watching this because uh, you know you've got the, the swell of the music um we've not we've not spoken about one of these really um We've had the closest I think it comes with um, when we looked at uh, Pacific Rim, um, which obviously has big CGI fights throughout it. Um, and you're right, Lord, Lord of the Rings really, prior to this, has been prior to the, the gold standard for these sorts of, um, you know, the Battle of Helm's Deep. You've got the, the, the Siege of uh, Minas Tirith at the end of uh, Return of the King as well. Um, you know, these huge thousands and thousands of combatants on a on a on a field and uh you know you've got to keep the story ticking over you've got to make sure that it looks coherent you've got to make sure that people know what's going on so it doesn't end up with this sort of like transformers thing that uh you, you know where you end up with just like this big kaleidoscope migraine for me like i just i remember watching this i don't know whether it was context you know it was the opening night of it it was the 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 idea the culmination of these all these different types of characters the music swelling in the background uh, and you just had all these different, like these portals open, right? And all these different factions kind of pile through. Uh, and a lot of these sort of, everyone's got their favorite character, their favorite character turns back up. You've got Spider-Man. Um, you actually even have uh, a Gwyneth Paltrow um, drop in. Gwyneth, in a, Gwyneth in a, comes by. In an Iron Man suit. I mean, again, that link to that idea of fan service, that's, um, that's something from, from the comics as well. Um, you know, Pepper Potts has her own specialist uh, Iron Man suit. Um, so it's, it's this culmination of... Um, because, they, they, interestingly, it's, it's, they did, they've done this in two previous Avengers films, had the big-ass battle sequence thinking about it. I know you've mentioned some other examples, like Lord of the Rings being the gold standard. You've got Narnia films do it. You mentioned 300 as well prior to recording, which is quite an interesting one to consider because that's basically just one giant. <laughs> one never-ending. Yeah, I guess I, I, I think the scale of this, it's so vast and there's so much going on. And to give them credit, like they, they do weave it well. Like It's quite a well-choreographed sequence where a lot of different characters have their sort of time to shine. 
but there is it's just so much going on and it does for me at points it feels a little bit like oh but we've got to have like that one that guy spider-man doing his thing and then we need to tie it in with um iron man doing his thing and oh we can't forget this character and then we have the uh the the feminist uprising um <laughs> which you know i think is, has been a bit marmite in the way it's been received and uh like we were saying before we started recording someone out there needs to kind of uh do a parody of this where they change the soundtrack and just put on like an absolute feminist anthem like you know sisters are doing it for themselves or something like that and then just sort of redo it with that in the background because it, it would be phenomenal um and i guess i mean there's a lot of ideas going on here i mean it if you took a series of stills or a storyboard from this film and showed it in isolation from somebody who hadn't seen the Marvel series, you've essentially at one point got a woman riding a Pegasus with a sword slashing the side of a space whale on their way to a brown transit van with a, por a time portal in the back of it, whilst a man with spider powers and um, a, a rock monster and a raccoon fight side by side with each other. It's just like, it's like some kind of like acid trip, fever dream, mushroom taking experience. It's, it's absolutely off its tits. Like, and I just, I just love it. I actually love it. How, how <laughs> coherent they managed to make it. Like, it's just, it's You're... insane. There's no way, there's no way that should work. <laughs> no, it's, it's completely batshit crazy. And I mean, I guess, I mean, another one that I sort of thought of, um, with a, a great sort of action set piece and there's, there's lots of these when there's like an actual battle reenactment it's like Braveheart or uh, Zulu or um, there's another one that sprung to mind and I can't think of it whether the massive, I mean Gladiator's got it as well and I just wonder if um, there's sort of a slight danger at points where this sort of slides into uh, Matrix Reloaded Neo versus an infinite number of Smiths where it almost becomes slightly indulgent and goes a little bit too far. Okay. But that's, that's, that's an argument for the scoring, and I think that maybe neatly brings us on to scoring time. The name's Connery, Sean Connery, and you are listening to the Trope Stummers podcast. Subscribe, don't be a pushy. Well, okay, so... We've got we've got there's a, we've got a big two there. We've got the time travel and we've got the big ass battle sequence. There's a, a little bit of uh, sort of difference of opinion, perhaps appearing, uh, which I like. That's that makes good trope storming. Let's start where we started. We started with the, the darkest hour and the half empty earth. Mm -hmm. I mean, the apocalyptic in, landscape. In terms of stakes, it doesn't really doesn't really get much more higher stakes than this. Um, no, because you think about like any science fiction, like even in Star Wars, they basically obliterate Alderaan, but it doesn't get an awful lot worse than that. Whereas in this, it's basically one in two. It's like cancer for the universe. Wow, wow. I mean, that that would that was uh, a working title that was quickly abandoned. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. I hear the sentiment behind it. Um, so yeah, the, the, it, I, I think it works really well. And I think the fact that they took two films to try and establish this is really important um, without leaning too heavily on Infinity War. I think if you tried to cram that idea into one film, it just wouldn't work. So by the time you arrive, 
We know the stakes, the powerful end in the last one, the way it's filmed together links with the stakes that are in this one. And I, I think, you know, because the, the previous film's taken the time to establish it properly, by the time you get round to this, we understand the gravity of the situation. And we've got that contrast between the kind of the, the emptiness and the, the kind of action that was left off from the, the, the last film. Um, so, yeah, I, I think really that's one of the reasons why this, this film works well for me is because um, it has genuine stakes. And also it's, it's, it's darker in tone than some of the other films. I mean, you know, you, at one point we know, we haven't, we haven't picked, picked this apart very much, but at one point, one of the characters has to die in order to, to, to save the universe. Mm. Um, and that, that happens, that happens, uh, twice. Uh, and we, we know that there's, we've been told at the start that there's this kind of 9 million to one shot or whatever the statistic is that they've, they've got of success. And the, you know, the, the stakes are the, the literal obliteration and recreation in Thanos's images of the universe. It's just ultimate stakes really. Um, and like I said, like we said before, the, the, the team are in complete a disarray scattered across the galaxy. And you know, spend half the, half the movie just trying to figure out how, how best to work together and work, work well with each other. Uh, and, and, and that link with the time heist, you know, when they get the setbacks in that, I just think, yeah, all those elements come together really well off this basis of the, 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 the darkest hour, the earth at its, its direst need. Um, requiring and forcing these these this ragtag group of aliens humans and raccoons to 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 work together um it's just yeah I, I think it works really well so for me it's it's a point scored as far as i'm concerned yeah i mean i like i like the subversion but i also like the uh the way that the characters are explored and they are sort of fallible they're human they're believable even though you know we're dealing with like gods and all sorts of crazy supernatural stuff and like science and whatnot but you sort of do suspend your belief and get happily get sort of carried away in the tide of it all so um no i'm i'm, I'm with you on this one um i think I'm a, I'm a huge fan of a dystopian apocalyptic style narrative so uh it scores well for me on the sinister scale excellent stuff and i think it's typified by that there's that line isn't there where cap says uh we're facing the fight of our lives um whatever it takes uh which there's kind of attention to the dialogue and specific lines used throughout previous films i think is really good in terms of because you're not just dealing with aspects of of dialogue that that are unique to one sort of film the fact that russo's were involved in others and and works so well with other directors um and you're having obviously they've got a really good production team at marvel making sure that the kind of the, the main movies the style is is consistent across across them um and and the dialogue between movies really links and really helps little tiny lines just establish this kind of sense of stakes across the movie um so yeah um that idea of whatever it takes whereas in the previous movie he's talking about we don't trade in lives uh, which is, I think, is quite like a, an interesting contrast. Mm. Yeah, no, but, I agree. Uh, the big kahuna burger of time travel was your next one. 
Kahuna Burger, love that reference. Um, yeah, for me, this one, um, I really like that they've actually bothered to do the homework and have actually looked into what the current sort of thinking uh, with quantum uh, physics and time travel and how that's all like wrapped up and how it would potentially play out with like the science and they haven't dumbed it down or they haven't gone timey-wimey. They've actually explained it really well using uh, Smart Hulk. I mean, it takes a little bit to get your head around it, um, but if that's the model that they're sort of going with, they do stay very true to it. I mean, yeah, you've got to sort of obviously take a bit of a leap um, with the whole uh, stones and the stones representing everything we understand about time and, and everything relative to that, fine. I mean, they kind of work within that framework quite nicely as well. I guess the only sort of stumbling block is the whole Captain America being the old man at the end and how that wouldn't wouldn't work within their own theory. And it almost feels like that's tacked on unnecessarily. I know it's probably quite nice and probably plays homage to the comic books or something. Um, but if you dig deeply enough around almost any time travel based film, apart from maybe, um, oh, what's the one where they, uh, uh, the, the one that really ties your, your brain in knots when they, uh, they oh, Primer. Oh, Primer. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, you rescued me there. I was just going to blurt and blubber around for a while. But yeah, apart from like Primer, which I think is probably one of the, the truest sort of accounts of what time travel could be like um, within its own sort of structure. I think this deals with everything pretty well. I mean, it's, it's uh, a monster blockbuster billion dollar action extravaganza superhero film. You know, you can give them a little bit of license with time travel. Um, that's just the tip of the iceberg with what we're dealing with, like a god of thunder from Norse mythology, a gamma ray adjusted super monster, um, a guy who is the result of World War Two experiments becomes super soldier. I mean, the list is endless. And I think mm. a bit, uh, you know, if we're going to sort of get a bit snippy about the time travel, then this really isn't the film for you. But that this idea of tacked on kind of picks at me a little bit. That idea that they gave Tony, they gave Tony, you know, the I am Iron Man, because um, he, he, like I said before, him and Cap are like the the sort of cornerstones of these movies. Um, the, the 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 one with with Tony's quite organic, isn't it? He's he's the the, the heroic sacrifice at the the end, um, and. You know that that I, even though you can kind of see it coming because you've got this kind of foreshadowing of him not wanting to get dragged back into it, and then ultimately he becomes the the, the savior. Really, um, it, it it that works quite naturally, I think, regardless of the the time travel. Whereas the the cap stuff, like on one level I love it, and then the other level, like you say, it does seem quite tacked on it almost everything seems to work up until that point where you have okay we've got this this need for cap to be old and to carry on you know he gives the the, the mantle of captain america essentially by giving the shield to sam um as does happen in the comics um they, they, i think they felt like they had to get to that point somehow but they hadn't really fully established how they were going to do that they were just kind of 
asking people to fill in the gaps. So I don't know. I don't know if I can award it really a point um, on that basis. I mean, this is quite a fundamental thing that it will hinge on because uh, if we're being sticklers for time travel um, and your monumental love for this film, like how much do you think this sticking point affects your overall love of the film? Would you have preferred a more tiny whiny? And uh, you know, does does the cap represent quite a big fly in the ointment here of enjoyment? Well, I wonder if they could, could they have pulled Peggy out of a previous time to go come live with Cap in you know modern times. I know it's it's kind of nicer for them to dance into forties music in the past, and you know the idea of the man out of time returning to his time is is a is a nice a nicer one um, as an idea. I it, it really because I read a couple of articles since before we did the podcast that, and I was I was really trying to. Convince myself that I, I I was I was happy with it, and I, I'm kind of even though I love this film, I'm I'm not I'm not happy with that. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's 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 tricky. I'm, I am a bit of a because they they obey their rules very rigidly to the letter of the law, and then they kind up of just... until the la the final five minutes where it's convenient for because they know there's a lot of goodwill with the audience. I'm sure at this point. Um. I think they kind of just rely on the audience to kind of roll with it, really. No, just don't uh, don't dig a little, don't dig too deep, don't. Uh, oh, what's this over here? Uh, look, look, shiny thing. Uh, I mean, it's fiction. It's fiction. You can write things any way you want, and I'm sure there'd be some way of 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 contriving it, but it's not abundantly apparent in in through the tropes of the film. Okay. Oof. So, uh, so are we leveling up the scores there? We're leveling. We're leveling up. It's uh, yeah. We we kind of water points, so it's kind of at a, a score draw. We've got the nice darkest hour, but the, the time travel falls at the the final hurdle, really. Okay. Um, did not see that coming. Yeah. No. No. Well, that's that's trope storming, folks. Um, which one? Are we, I'm I'm going to tackle the kind of the, the the fan service line that we trod before. Um, you said that it strikes the balance quite well. Um, I It happens a lot in this movie. There's a lot of different... And I know it's designed as a celebration of the previous movies that came before. Um, so all, all the little nods to Sam as a character, you know, America's ass, that idea, the whole idea of him looking back on his own old costume and Loki being present. And you, you, there was that interesting scene where you saw... Iron Man seeing the end of the Avengers from the viewpoint of them, you know, coming coming out of their poses, pose at the end, you know, getting in the lift and then Hulk had to take the stairs. So I I, I, I kind of like that whole that that it links to the whole time heist thing, the idea of the fan service, you know, going the the, the whole time heist is almost a contrivance to um, give little nods to these little elements of fan service that go along the way, you know, Loki being present. Also, Robert Redford turns up, you know, another illustrious oh. name. Came out of uh, retirement uh, for his last ever film to go back into retirement. So there you go. I mean that that's that's wonderful. You know, having because he's a, he's a really good villain in uh, that uh, the the Winter Soldier, uh, and to bring him back just to be that piece of fan service. It's it's a lot of care and a lot of um, a, a lot of thought gone into what people like about the the various films. And I know that's the Russo brothers' film as well. So I'm sure they were glad to have him back. But uh, yeah, I think they. They kind of handle these moments 
really well and tread that line to the point where even though it happens quite a lot and you've also got other bits like when Tony meets um, his dad uh, back in the, the, the 70s and there's the references to um, Agent Carter as well uh, as, as Peggy Carter and, and, and Jarvis from the series turns up and things like that and you, you're kind of you're not beaten over the head with it but you're, if you know you know it's one of those sorts of things. Um, I mean I think I'm gonna have to defer to your serious superior comic book knowledge on all of this. Yeah, I am the paleontologist slash comic book nerd of, of the pod. This fan service is abundant in this film. More, I suppose more broadly, when we were looking at the kind of the more SJW aspect of it with the, uh, well, we can link this to the final battle sequence a little bit more, but the, 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 there's a slightly crowbarred sort of feminist element into it, which I, I'm, you know, I'm fine with. I don't have a problem with there being nods to female superheroes you know, uh, quite markedly, you know, obviously highlighted, but um, it is a bit on the nose when it kind of comes about, you know, they all kind of line up and look at each other and you have the, she's got help line, which is, which is good. I like the, the whole idea of the Wakandan female honor guard. That's, that's, that's a cool concept um, by itself. And that probably is the, 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 is a wise choice to make that person deliver that line. Um, but yeah, it is a bit on the nose when you, especially when you get Gwyneth Paltrow rocking up in a suit, having never been in a battle before. Um, mm. And still being sort of a bit sort of Mary Sue there, may I, may not, might I say. Ooh, to just sort man. of... You dropped the M-bomb. Uh, hey, I was... you gotta, you got to call it when you see it. Um, no, I, I I see what you mean. And um, like I say, I have to defer to your most superior knowledge, uh, which ties in with your the deep love you feel for this film and all of the associated comic books and, and whatnot that tie in with that. Um, As a disclaimer, I'm, I'm more of a, a, a DC fan in terms of characters. Oh, your true colours uh, finally come out, do you know? So yeah, I'm not. I'm not I'm like we're not paid by Marvel. Uh, as, as some people on the internet like to believe with, with all these sorts of things, you know, you get quite heated DC v Marvel uh, debates. So um, you know. I've got a feet in, foot in both camps. Green Lantern, Green Lantern's my favourite character, uh, but the less said about that film, the better. Fair enough. That's another pod for another time. So, <laughs> uh, are we are we giving this another another utopian point based on the uh, the case you just made? What do you think, Chris? Was that convincing enough for you? Was I convinced? Hmm. Yeah. You. you you kind of got me i mean i kind of enjoyed all of that stuff i mean the ones that i got and it kind of made me feel like oh i feel like i'm with the in crowd because i probably missed a lot of the ones that you got so it's not something that's going to like irk me so much but that might just be for my own sheer ignorance but i kind of liked when i was on in the inner circle which was probably quite rare compared but i just i kind of enjoyed it and i it felt it came across to me just like the love was bursting out of it, like the yeah. level of care and detail, and it, that it mattered. That yes, this is a huge movie that's ultimately going to make a lot of money, but they're still taking the time and care to, you know, think about who this affects most. And okay. I think there's not enough of that in, I mean, maybe I'm cynical, but I think that is something that's very easily lost and could easily have been lost here. 
yeah because you think i mean you think about countless other films where it's just been like a giant money grab and i like this certainly has that argument to it because <laughs> it's just like a money-making machine you know as part of the, the whole disney it's the, ultimate, it's the ultimate franchise isn't it it is it is and um you know but but there is care present and there is a love for these characters there is you know the characters themselves are well drawn and well depicted for saying that you've got to get so many in and give them enough breathing space to do their thing uh so yeah i think this brings us nicely we've kind of got like a 2-1 to a utropian point this brings us to the kind of the the, the, the third act ultimate big badass epic battle sequence which i think is quite an apt trope to finish our scoring on so i was hoping it would work out this way um i mean full disclosure i kind of came into this from the outset thinking that uh as big badass battle sequences go this was sort of good but you know should have been more epic but then at the same time, do I just want to watch an extended battle sequence, which no matter how skilled a director and how good your CGI is, you are going to probably fall into that trap of transformerdom, where it just becomes like, oh, I don't even know anymore. Everything's just like, pew, 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 and it's just like, uh, I don't need, I haven't got a clue what's going on. Like, it's just Colors too much. shapes. Yeah, it's just too much going on. And um, I, mean, I, I, I will say that I was able to follow the action sequences I didn't get like really distracted by anything. I didn't feel sick or have any motion sickness problems. Um, and it did sort of link together well. And I mean, I know the the feminists uprising um, might not be to everyone's taste and could be quite divisive, but in a lot of ways, you know, I think you're right. It could have been a bit too on the nose, but they kind of get away with it. And I'm, I, I think it's kind of anything that shines a spotlight on some ass-kicking strong female characters is a positive for me. And I think that's also something that is great for any audience um, and that sort of pushes a kind of more equal world and inspires people to maybe do things or think things that they might not ordinarily have done. Um, I mean, these films have done wonders for the raccoon community as well. They have. They really, they've really put them on the map. They've really, really pushed the raccoon agenda. In fact, I almost feel like I'm at sort of peak raccoon saturation point. Um, and I mean, purely on a technical standpoint, something like this, I mean, Christ, how they, how they put it together, like the processing power of like those computers. I mean, the mind boggles if we put that kind of processing power towards, I don't know, something like solving the climate crisis heaven forbid i mean we've got we've got helms deep as the kind of gold standard and i i i guess i'm not gonna lie nothing's gonna beat helms deep ever in my head in until something does beat helms deep and i'll be like didn't think that could happen because i remember watching this and thinking like is how is there is there ever going to be a film that's going to top this in terms of in terms of scale and in terms of badass like I mean, Hel Helm's Deep is is so apt for that story and so well done, and you get the sense of claustrophobia with that, isn't it? It's the, the kind of idea that you've got this huge oppressing force trying it's to... Just, it's just epic, isn't it? It's just absolutely, like, medieval epic. 
Yeah, it, it's it's fantastic, and, and it's built and this... up as well. Like it's it's built up quite like when they're sort of fortifying the castle, and you have all the people who are like having to prepare to fight when they've never fought in their lives, and you know you've you've seen the army being built um, out of the mud um, at Sauron's castle, gaffing. Like it's it's quite sort of built up, whereas the sort of final battle in this. It's got less kind of uh, build up to it in within the film itself, but then it's not as integral, I think, as in the film itself. Because everyone's kind of snapped back, they're pissed off at Thanos, so they're kind of easy to rally. I would have thought it's kind of convenient how the wizards just bring everyone through from Asgard to New York. They really nail it with the way that the Avengers music assembles and then towards the the line of you know, Avengers assemble uttered by Captain America. Just like that that sort of thirty second sequence, butterflies in my stomach watching that. And then <laughs> you just have this crazy explosion of for a start, you've got like Ant Man just runs across, chins a whale, Hulk runs across with a he's got his arm in a sling, uh, and, and punches someone, and then Thor's letting off lightning left, right and centre. Again, it comes down to this idea of care. They've really taken care for what goes on in that particular sequence and the way it works out. And then each little character gets their, their little bit of play. Captain Marvel's character turns up, turns the tide of the battle. I know we're coming back to Helm's Deep constantly as the... The, the, the poster child. To, ...to clear, but I don't know whether that's, that's fair or not, really. So, I don't know. What, what you, what's your gut telling you? My gut's uh, telling me that, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, the bar is impossible impossibly high if you're saying like helm's deep and it's definitely not neo versus an endless litany of agent smiths um we're a million miles from that right oh we are so far away from that like no at no point do i like turn away or eye roll or be like oh god like it does sort of nail it for what it is i think i'm sort of trying i think i want <laughs> What is it? There's that line in Star Wars where uh, Luke Skywalker gets annoyed during Jedi training and he goes, you want the impossible to uh, Yoda. And then Yoda just casually just like makes the uh, X-Wing come out of the swamp like it's nothing. <laughs> I think that's that's me. You know, I, I'm, I'm sort of reaching for something that's probably not even like cinematically possible, not not at least for another five to ten years. And even then, I probably won't acknowledge it being better than the Battle of Helm's Deep, and that'll be the boss, uh, the cross I bear. And yeah, I, I can't really argue with it, to be honest. What do they say? Reach for the stars, and you'll. I mean, I know, I know what it <laughs> is, but I'm, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying this far more. <laughs> uh, well, there we go. I think we have reached. Well, certainly, colon Endgame for me. Uh, <laughs> That's a nice, nice callback there. I've had a, you know, I, I've had some brain farts this episode. Um, I'll not lie. <laughs> Put the, put the buck fast down, mate. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it looks like at the big badass at, at battle sequence and the fan service, as well as the Darkest Hour, has meant that Avengers Endgame has reached the heady heights of Utropia. So well done, Marvel. Well done, the Russo brothers. Well done, Chris. That was hard explanation of time travel alongside. It was a big one to... <laughs> 
big one to tackle that. That was big boy boots to fill. Uh, I wasn't sure where the thank you was going to be directed then. I thought it was just like, thank you for making it through this fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and thanks, thanks, dear listener. That was a, that was a, a, a big gargantuan effort. That's probably the biggest, the biggest film we've we've tackled, right? Oh, I mean, it's it's monstrous. If you uh, if you have any thoughts on everything we've covered here, if you think we're right, if you think you're wrong, if you want to correct us on anything, we're open to hearing your opinions. I mean, you're wrong, but you know, we'll we'll give you the forum for it. Um, if you're a Marvel or DC fanboy and want to slate us either way, you know, we'll take it. We'll take we'll, it. We'll roll with the punches. Um, so yeah, we're on the social medias. It's at Tropestormers, and if you care to write a treatise or an essay or a thesis about this podcast um, you're more than welcome to um, it's tripstormers at gmail.com so uh, yeah what a journey we've been on I feel like we've covered the pantheon of Marvel there yeah wasn't easy 20 odd films to try and synthesize into the kind of terminus as the word that you use which I liked a lot um, so yeah uh, we'll do it all over again for a new movie very soon. So keep an eye out on your podcast feed, uh, be that Apple, Spotify, wherever. You can leave a review as well. That'd be great. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time for more trope storming. Well, that just leaves us to say that, uh, as we always say here on Trope Stormers, Captain America's got like serious <laughs> colon issues. Bye for now. Goodbye now. <laughs> Oh, fantastic.